Good morning. It's good to see you guys. <clears throat> Glad you guys are here. Um, hope you guys had a really good Thanksgiving. Yeah. Even better than that, I hope you guys watched that ASU football game last night. I wasn't going to say that if they lost, I was going to come here and, and give praises to U of A as I normally do. Uh, but they won, so I don't have to do that. So for the other U of A fans, honestly, thank you guys for that. That was a, was a gift. Uh, and so... Not to say this has anything to do with the sermon or anything like that, that God's on our side and not on your side. That, that, has, that has nothing to do with that. So, all right. So we've been in a series in the book of Daniel looking at the, a series called Exiles for us. We're going to continue to do that this morning. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Daniel chapter 6, and that's where we'll be today. And if you don't have a Bible, <clears throat> raise your hand and keep your hand raised really high. One of our ushers will walk down your aisle and get you a copy of God's Word so that you can follow along with us today. If you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we are handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow in an understanding and a knowledge uh, of the Lord and who he is and so forth. And so we, we um, have been in this series now. This is our sixth week. It's our final week. Um, easily, probably one of the better series that we've, we've done in a while. And, and people say, what makes it better? I'm not exactly sure. I like it better. And so there's not a huge criteria other than this is better. And so uh, it's been um, really good to hear you guys' responses through email and so forth and what God is doing in your life and your community and so forth. And so uh, today we get a chance to hear from, as Aaron said earlier, a very familiar story. If you've been around um, Christianity or America, you've heard of Daniel and the lion's den. And the thing about this story that is always so difficult to me is to preach it to adults because it feels like it's more of a kid story because of the way that we've told it. Um, it's a sleepover in the lion's den and so forth. It's not a sleepover. They wanted the lions to kill Daniel. Okay, so next time you read this story to your kids, right before they go to bed, just open up and say, and then, and then Darius, he threw him in there so they would rip all of his limbs apart and he would die. Good night, baby. Right? That's how we want to the story so the kids would know they ain't playing around in Babylon, all right? Um, so here's what I want to be able to do. I want to be able to re- recap kind of where we've been um, in this series and then kind of give a way forward for where we're going to go today and, uh, and the conclusion of this, of this particular series. So one is we, with the genesis of this. And so we started this series um, mainly because um, as leaders we've been saying we know that we're in a particular moment in our culture where it feels like things are shifting. And I would say this, if you talk to people who are not only um, just Christians, even people who are not Christians, they feel like times and things are shifting. If you talk to people on the political right, they feel like things are shifting. On the left, things are shifting. If you talk to Muslims, you talk to Hindus, you talk to people, no one feels like they have kind of a solidness. So it's not like in all of this, people feel like they're quote unquote winning. But as far as of Christ, we're going, um, how, how do we have a way forward as the people of God in the particular place and time where God has us now? And as we were listening to other uh, leaders and thinkers from around the country and around the world, we, we, we thought it would be really helpful for us to look at some, some men and women in the scripture that give us a way forward of how to be faithfully present with God, no matter where we're at, no matter what the context of, um, of our, our circumstance or our society is. And so we begin to look at exiles and the exiles in the time of Daniel. And so here's the story how they got there in terms of the biblical story is that God's people had been slaves in Egypt. You know about that. And then God rescued his people and he brought them out of slavery. They went about 40 years in the wilderness because of their disobedience. God finally got them to the promised land in Jerusalem. There they built the temple. God's presence was in the temple. God had already given them his law, his care, his covenant to love. 
that in this particular time and place, they were supposed to be a light unto the nations, meaning as they lived in light of God's love and grace and mercy towards them, that the other nations would begin to know what God was like through his people. The problem was not with God, but with the people. The people continued to sin against God. And in sinning against God, God graciously would send them prophets to warn them, if you continue to do this, I'm going to allow to form a punishment or consequences for your sin to come about. Those particular consequences would be that another nation would come in, take you from Jerusalem, from this promised land, into their nation. And that's exactly what happened. And then God's people continued the sin, and then Babylon came in, and they took the people, God's people, into Babylon. What we learned, chapter one is, of Daniel, is that when he first came in, that is he, King Nebuchadnezzar, who at the time was the king of Babylon, he came and he took the youngest, the brightest, the talented, and so forth, and brought them ultimately to Jerusalem. Or excuse me, to Babylon. And the, the purpose of that was to be able to have the young, bright people that they would be shaped by the culture of Babylon, lose their faith, lose their culture, and all their goods and talents that had been given to them from God would actually be able to make the city a lot better. And so that was the thought. However, there was Daniel, there was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What we said was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and in my church, one bad Negro. We said this, that most of you couldn't say that. I can get away from it. And you go, how do I know? Look at your hand and see if it reflects any of my pigmentation. If it does not, just laugh. So you have, you have those people, and what you see is that they begin to say there were certain things of the culture that they were okay with, but there were certain things of the culture that they would not go into, right? And the way we said it is, you could take the boy out the hood, but you can't take the hood out the homeboy. So in some ways, what we have with Daniel and his friends is they knew how to be faithful. Well, um, as the story progressed, we realized there's another king. Another king comes in, as we learned about last week, and this new particular king had taken over um, and now is running the land. Throughout these weeks, we've been able to see and experience how God's people during the time of exile were being refined in their faith. In essence, their faith was being renewed, that the things in which their ancestors had done in disobedience to God, that now they were being faithful. Even though they were ripped away from their cultural norms, from their religious norms in a completely different place that they knew how to be faithful to the Lord. The scripture that we read every single week is a scripture we just heard out of Psalm, and that is, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And that's the question that ultimately we're asking. How do we, as God's people, here in this particular town, in this particular place, in this particular moment, how do we remain faithful to God? Things we've heard is we have, there needs to be a level of repentance and returning and trusting in Christ and following Christ. Things we've heard is that we need to be filled and flooded with the Holy Spirit. And today what we're going to be able to see just through the life of Daniel is the commitment to prayer. The commitment to prayer. And so um, a couple things that are also helpful for us is to be able to step back and go, okay, what about our culture in the moment that we find ourselves in? Well, one, we, we said this. When it comes to Daniel, the first thing that we want to do, we have a few things about assimilation and withdrawal. So put it here. Week one, we talked about this. We don't want to assimilate. And that means when you get into culture, you don't want to assimilate, assimilate with the culture. That is that we look no different than the culture around us. Now, when I say no different, sometimes Christians have this thought that to be different, they need to be weird. Nowhere in the scriptures to say, thou shalt be weird, right? Never says that. Now, being faithful sometimes make you look a little weird because of the things in which we believe in. I mean, if you just step back and you hear yourself out loud, say the things you believe in, or if you ever talk to friends of yours that are not Christian and say, okay, you believe in a God who became flesh. Yeah, we're about to celebrate that in a moment. Okay, and this guy died on the cross and, and his blood was shed for you. 
and that you believe that God raised him from the dead three days later, and if you believe in him, you have eternal life. Yeah, this same God says he wants you to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Yeah, right? It kind of sounds weird, but yeah, that's the faith that which we have to be able to follow this risen Savior who's present with us by the Spirit. But God never calls us to be completely, exactly like the culture around. We can't assimilate. But we said the reaction to that is to withdraw, as if somehow you can withdraw from the culture. You can never leave the culture. You can never leave yourself. And the problem is not necessarily the culture. It's the sin that's in the culture that's also in you and me. And so the way forward is not somewhere in the middle, but it's something completely different in following Christ and being faithful to the things in which God has given us. What we said is what happens is there's three different cultures. We've talked about this every week. The first culture would be a culture what missiologists, those who study mission, would say is a pre-Christian culture. This is a culture that has many gods, it's pluralistic, but the gospel of Jesus Christ has not been there yet. And then you have the second culture would be known as a Christian culture. Now, when I say Christian culture, not everybody in the culture is Christian, but there's certain values and art and so forth that reflects that they believe in a Judeo-Christian worldview. Well, in this particular culture, you had people who said, we need to go and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, as the word of God says, to these particular cultures. And what missionaries would do, usually coming from um, Western America, or excuse me, Western culture, America and Canada and so forth and Europe, and go into these places and plant the gospel. And so you'd go into the first culture, the gospel would be believed upon, people would believe in Jesus, and people would see their lives change. Well, what happened is, oftentimes people would say, if you look at a study of mission, um, what happened is when the missionaries would go into these particular places, they wouldn't just bring the gospel, they would also bring their culture with them. In some ways, they would colonize them. So to believe in Jesus, you had to look a certain way, and it looked very Western. And so now newer missionaries said, we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that when we go and plant the gospel, that we plant the gospel in its particular culture and that it has indigenous leaders and so forth so that we don't colonize them. And so then we begin to start do churches differently. And many of us were part of churches like that or maybe even part of it right now. We're going to be very casual. We're going to have music that's like Christian slash non-Christian. And we're going to make sure that people don't get you know, bogged down with all of the, the jar- Christian jargon and so forth. What's needed, we'll give. And then from there, we went to relevance. If we could just be more relevant and somehow we could be holy and cool at the same time and we could be comfortable in this world and it'd be just fine because people will see that Christianity is somehow cool. And you see this all the time. Um, You hear about it, how excited Christians are when some popular person is also a Christian. It's like, you know, she's a singer. She's also a Christian, right? Um, She's a, a chef. She's also a Christian, and if you eat their food, you're going to get saved. It's amazing, right? right? And so we buy all of their stuff and so forth, that somehow, if we could just be cool and holy, then the world will come and know Jesus. And yet, the gospel never said that, right? They would know him by your love and so forth, not how cool you are. And we said there's an indictment even on a church like ours, being known, I don't think we're known as much anymore, but being known for a while as the quote-unquote cool church, as if that was something good, Right? The goal for us is to ultimately be known as people who follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, come what may. And if we lose that, then we actually lose being a church. Well, then many missionaries then said, okay, forget all of that. You know what? We need to take the gospel to the streets. So we're going to be missional. And about 10 to 15 years ago, you have this movement of people who want to be missional. And there's far more history of this than I can give right now. But what happened was we're going to take the gospel in certain places. We'll take them to bars. We'll take them to the neighborhood. We'll take all these places. And then, then we won't colonize them. We'll just bring the gospel. We'll be just like one of them. We won't look much different than them other than we will believe in Jesus. And what we realize, as one writer said, is um, while we were trying not to colonize them, we were being colonized. 
in essence, guys, it didn't work. It didn't work. And then you look through Christian history and you go, where has God moved through the means of his people? And it goes back to the tried and true, very ancient things, things that you hear from your youth pastor if you grew up going to church over and over again, and it's have Christian friends or community, believe in God's spirit, trust and follow and know God's word, pray and do that as long as you can in love for Jesus until he comes to renew this whole world. Like it, very, very simple. There's like, what's the new way? There is no new way. What's the new message? There's no new message. Jesus Christ lived, died, was raised, ascended to heaven, sent forth his spirit to his people to continue the work in which God has been doing since the creation of this world. We participate in that by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? So that, 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 that's it. There's like no other, like, is there another? There's no other message. Like that is the gospel in which we believe in and now we live into. The question we have is how do we live into it particularly today? So that's what we're going to look at in Daniel uh, chapter 6 this morning. And then from there, we're going to walk through the text again. And then we'll have a way forward in which we trust and believe that God is moving in our lives. So would you pray with me? Let's ask God to bless our time this morning. Father, you are... Absolutely good. Um, I love the song that we sing, Lord, that you're never going to let us down. We thank you for technology that can read your scripture out loud. (laughs) Father, we pray right now that um, the fact that you're never going to let us down, I pray that you'd make that absolutely present and thick to us. Lord, in, in, the most of, in the moment of suffering that many of us are going through, in the moment of loneliness that most of us are going through, the moment of unbelief that many of us find ourselves in, in the moment of joy, in the moment of celebration, that ultimately you are good and you're never going to let us down. God, we pray that we would look to your scripture today and not just look at Daniel as an example on how to model our lives but look deeper into what your word is pointing to and what Daniel was pointing to and what these stories is pointing to and shaping a people, Lord, that believe in your son, Jesus. So God, I pray that you would lead us to the cross and liberate us, Lord, with the empty tomb and the power of your resurrection that we may have new life in what you give us. God, I pray that you would shape and fashion us, Lord, after your word in the midst of this culture. God, that we would be a display, that we would be a light, that we would be salt. But Lord, that we would actually first see the light, taste the salt in Christ. And not veer too far away from that, Lord. So Lord, we pray that you would call us home in you this morning. and uh, You would send us forward in your presence and your spirit. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. One of my favorite things to do growing up was go to the ocean. Go to the beach. So oftentimes we go to different beaches in California. Uh, I didn't grow up here. I didn't go to the Tempe Town Beach. Uh, and so we, we would go to the beach, and by my seventh grade year, someone taught me how to body surf, okay? And, and I know there's always the joke, so can you swim? Listen, that's racist. So here's, here's what we have. So I would, I would be in the water, and my buddy taught me how to body surf. And if you don't know what body surfing is, it's, it's, it's surfing with your body. And so... Um, we learned how to catch these waves and swim, and I loved it. Once I learned how to do that, I absolutely loved it. Fun fact, this past summer I did it, and my ring, 11 years, have not lost my ring. I've lost everything. Took a wave all the way in. My buddy was like, you got the wave, and I looked, and I'm like, oh, no, and you lose your ring in the ocean? 
you're not getting that back, all right? So I've been having the rubber ones that have been breaking, but uh, I'm not gonna pay for another real ring again. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, I gotta go tell my wife right now. And she was playing some game on the, on the sand with some women, and I was like, ah, I better go tell her. I said, hey, Holly, I, I lost my ring, thinking she's gonna be upset. And she's, she's so competitive. She's like, oh, um, I'm sorry. And she kept playing her game. <laughs> You know what I thought? Anything I need to tell Holly that's serious, now I'm a waitress season, some competitive game. Hey, Holly, I lost the kids. <sighs> we didn't need them anyway, right? And so, so, so I, love, I love swimming in the ocean. Now, here's the thing of this. You guys have heard me say this before. What you do when you go to the beach, um, you put all your stuff down, you put your chairs down, you put whatever you have, you put it down, and you get in the water, and you swim. And if you're trying to body surf, there's oftentimes you're just out there swimming, because that's how you, you swim. Uh, I learned how to body surf, not swim. <laughs> so you're out there in the ocean, and you're waiting for the next big wave in which you can ride in. Now, before you know it, without your intentions, um, you actually started off here, and you can find yourself way, way, way over here, or way, way, way over there, depending on which way the currents are moving. And now, it wasn't your intention to get over here, and then you have an option. Either you can get out of the water here and just be in a completely different place, or you have to swim upstream. It's always more difficult to swim upstream, but it gets you back to where you want to be. And the only way you can actually get back there is to know, first and foremost, where you started. We, we, we feel like as a church, as a people of God, those of us who are in Christ, that we start in Jesus Christ. Like we start with this beautiful news of God's grace and his mercy towards us, how he calls us, he forgives us, he sends us, and it's amazing. Like we love Jesus, and then we begin to live our life in faith. We begin to live in community. We go out here to begin to live our daily lives. But if our eyes are not fixed on, on who Christ is, what happens is um, suffering happens. Um, good things happen, success happens, Failure happens, sin continuous happens, like life continues to happen to us. Now, these things are gonna happen whether you trust Jesus or not. But if our eyes are not fixed on Christ, what happens is as life is continuing to happen, we find ourselves way over here and we ask the question, how, do I, how did I get here? Okay, here's how you got here. You didn't even necessarily have to try to get there. That is inevitable. That's why living in this world, like this world in itself and its structures and its systems and the powers that be are not constantly pushing you towards the center of the gospel. In fact, it's the opposite. Everything in which we do say, think, listen to, read is actually pulling us away from that. It, it is not something that is thick with the presence of Christ in which we're acknowledging. You don't go places and go, people are like, what do you like to eat today? You want this? Oh yeah, by the way, you know you need Jesus too. Just thought I'd tell you that. Anyways, can you water with that too. Like nothing in which we do is pulling us back towards Jesus. So the question from that is not just how do I get here, it's how do I get back? And I hear this in our particular culture, our church, I hear this with people who were part of campus ministries in college, they had this incredible experience in whatever campus ministry they were part of. I'm not going to mention any of them because they were all incredible, right? And what happens is you realize between 18 and 22-ish, you were with the same group of people, um, listening to the word together, going on trips together, going to East Asia together, um, <laughs> and, and, and doing a lot of things which your faith was nurtured. You graduate from college, things happen, some people get married, some people don't, um, just life happens, and, and many of them will sit down and go, our life was great back then. Like back when we were doing these things, and somehow you want to get back to doing those particular things, as opposed to really it was how connected you were to Jesus. 
Um, older generation, you'll hear things like this. How come the church doesn't, and you list a bunch of things that the church, particularly our church, doesn't do? Because when I got saved, this is what we did. When, when, the, when the worship band used to sing, they used to, the, the women and the men did not dress like that. The pants are too tight. Like, if that would just change, Jesus will come tomorrow, right? And it's like, uh, probably not. But, but there's some sense of going, we're looking at all of the things that were happening and not the person of Christ himself. And so we have to be able to say, Lord, what are we to do? What can we do in your strength that we may be able to swim upstream, that we may be able to get back to the place in which we are centered on you, that you can give us a way forward? So as we look to this last chapter of Daniel, with that in mind, I do believe that he gives us probably one of the best things that we can do as a people. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps were given account, to that the king might, or so that the king may not suffer no, uh, no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could not find ground for the complaint for any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, Darius signed the document injunction. Okay, I think you guys hear what's going on right? Daniel, who's been doing his thing since day one, right? He gets elevated. He's one of the top three governors around. And even in the top three governors, like he is that guy. Now there's different ways in which you can teach this. You can teach about vocational presence and, and, or Christians being faithful to God that you can't find any moral error in them and so forth. There's a lot of really cool things to, to teach on this. But particularly what Daniel's doing is he's saying what happened, not necessarily just giving us moral lessons. So here's what's happened. Daniel got put in charge. And what Daniel lets us know um, is that haters always hate, right? Him, Taylor Swift, they all let us know, right? Daniel gets put there, and then they say, what can we do to take Daniel down? And so they look for as many things they can find, and they're like, here's the thing. Daniel is squeaky clean. We can't find anything about him. How about this? We'll get the law changed. Primarily, here's what they knew about Daniel. They knew that if we can do something that has something to do with the law of God, meaning they knew he won't budge when it comes to God. Like there's not be any budging when it comes to following God. So they went and got the laws changed. They went to the king and they said, king, oh, you live forever. You're that guy. How about we make something for about 30 days that anybody who prays to any other God or man, any than you, that they get thrown into the dens of the lion. Like, like may they be done. And the king's feeling himself. And so he says, yeah, sure, let's do it. Now they know Daniel's going to be in trouble. Here's what Daniel does next, verse 10. Then Daniel knew that the document had been signed. He went to his house 
where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign the injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, and the injunction you have signed, but, it, but makes his petitions three times a day. And then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till sun went down and to rescue him. And then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, and nothing might be changed, and nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And then the king went to his, his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and slept fled from him. And then the break of dawn, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was, and he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your, da- your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found in him because he had trusted God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought in and cast into the lion's den. This is the part where you read to your kids. The men that were disobedient kids, they got eaten by the lions. Did you listen to mommy and daddy today? Right, just, just, just throw that in there. And the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought in and cast into the lion's den. They, they their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, the nations, language that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, the people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Okay, so just a recap. They got tricked. He got thrown in the lion's den. His relationship with the king was such that the king couldn't even eat. Couldn't change the law, but he couldn't even eat. He goes in. Daniel, are you in there? Daniel's like, I'm good. I'm chilling. What happened? My God showed up, he sent an angel, he shut the, the mouths of the lions, I'm good. The king takes them out, takes the men who were malicious, takes them, wives and children, throws them into the lion's den. That's the part of the story really, you don't hear, right? That's a pretty bad part. And it says, breaks them together. 
And that was the end of their life. But for Daniel, once again, he was elevated. And it's okay. What does that look like, mean for us? A few things that I want us to be able to walk out of this, all right? First is, of course, there's prayer. But I want to understand this. It's not just Daniel prayed. It's that Daniel prayed. Or a better way to say it, Daniel always prayed. We think sometimes that when we read stories like this, there was this magnificent moment of faith that just happened in that moment. No. What you understand is, and especially when you read through the rest of Daniel and what happened previous is Daniel had always prayed. It wasn't that they found out that this thing was about to happen and that it was signed, and then Daniel said, you know what we need to do? I haven't done this in a long time. Let me begin to pray. The people knew. That's why they went after him. The one thing they knew about Daniel was what? That he prayed. Like that's why they attacked him. He went into his house. He went to the upper chamber of his house. He opened up the window. He faced Jerusalem, and it said that he prayed three times a day. What it showed is, is that everything that was happening in Jerusalem before the exiles ripped away, the things that they ought to be doing, serving, worshiping, and following God, those are the very things that they begin to do in exile. Like the only way forward for them was not just to hold on and make sure, hope that God would come and take out the Babylonians. The thing for them was not to just make sure they can get the right leader in charge and then that would declare things. No, the thing for them was not just to try to find hip cool ways in which they can be like in Babylon but then not of Babylon. Like no. Like for them, the things that were tried and true were worship of Yahweh. Fear and trembling of Yahweh. The God in whom had rescued their people, the God in whom had given them his law, the God who was also present with them in this moment. That, so when it says that Daniel prayed, it was a life of prayer. Desperate people pray. We don't. And I think it's because we're not that desperate. We, we, we have a level of comfort. We have a level of ease. And that's not bad. It's not that God said, I want you to be miserable your entire life. No, some Christians are. Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ that are, that are in some in this country, but definitely in other places of the world, they're miserable, and yet they find so much joy in God because they are desperate that God is all they need. We want God plus something else, and usually we go after the something else and we dilute our understanding or desire for God. Like, when it comes to Daniel and his friends, it was not about Daniel trying to exceed the ladder. We'll look at this from a business side of things and going, be moral, be faithful, and watch God elevate you. Well, then we have men and women here going, I've been moral, I've been faithful, and I haven't gotten elevated at all, because that's not what Daniel's about. It's be faithful, watch what God does. Pray on behalf of your city, watch what God does. Be obedient, watch what God does. So there's anything we see, Daniel, he had a life of prayer. And I've said this to you before. I, I, like, if we're going to be God's people, let's say it this way. We can't say that we're dependent upon God and simultaneously not be a people of prayer. Because if we're not a people of prayer, then who the heck are we dependent upon? It's not God. It's not God. And, and, and it's not a, oh, I feel guilty, now I'm going to pray. No, 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 no. Like, we need to be desperate for the things of God in every area of life. Desperate for the things of God in the life of our church, in the life of our city, and our family, and our friends, and so forth. Like, there, there's, a, there's a desperate posture in which you have. And I, I should feel the most convicted of this because maybe some of us didn't have a model. I had a model. I had an incredible model. 
My, I'll tell you this, and I've shared it before. My mom, she loves her Bible. Like her Bible looks like she jumped into a swimming pool with the Bible and it came out. Like that's how tattered it is. It's King James because she doesn't believe God speaks in any other language. Um, and God bless her. <laughs> Blesseth her. Um, but, 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 um, I, I think in some ways, and me and my mom, we, we talk a lot about this. I think in some ways, theologically, like I'm different than her and in a lot of ways. However, however, nobody I've seen prays like that because she's desperate. She's still desperate. Um, my mom grew up in an extremely abusive relationship. My mom has my brother, my sister, my brother, and me, we have three different dads. Um, when I became a Christian, I began to ask her questions like, hey, you know, you've always been this godly woman and I know you. <laughs> How come you have three different dads? <laughs> my mom explained the whole situation. My mom had my sister when she was 15 years old, right? And then the rest of us. Um, when she moved to California to reconcile things with my dad, my, mom's, my dad's mom, my grandmother, began to pour into her. My grandma became a, like an amazing woman of prayer and taught my mom to pray. And that's all she had. All you have is prayer. And don't get me wrong, in the church we grew up in, we had all the corny things that churches had. They, they'd made church push, pray until something happens, and all, all those things, all, like all of it. However, every Wednesday night, everybody in the church was on their knees on those pews for prayer. All I know is every single morning, my mom woke up at 5 o'clock because she taught in the inner city and left early to go, to go teach preschool kids. And she would wake us up, and let us go back to bed for school, wake us up, get us out of the bed, and we would hold hands and we would pray. And my mom, you knew when she prayed because when you, if you had her hand, one on each side, every time that she was invoking the name of God, she would squeeze a little harder, right? And we grew up black Baptists, and so it was always Father God, Father God, Father God, right? But we would pray. Saturday mornings when we didn't have much going on, my mom would have her door locked because that was her private place. My mom would go in there and we would hear, my mom would be in there for at least a couple hours praying for about everything. You'd hear my name, you'd hear my sister's name, my dad's name, all these different names, all these different names, right? Um, and there was just a level of conviction of going, it's not going to happen unless we pray and unless God does it. I don't know of honestly, that is a mark of us. It'll happen if we plan. It'll happen if we prepare. It'll happen if it happens on time in an efficient manner, um, but not necessarily it's only going to happen if we get on our knees and we pray. Daniel, don't get me wrong, was probably desperately afraid of being eaten by lions as anybody would be, but there was no point. He could have said, I'm going to close the window. I'm going to learn how to pray without doing it, but he longed for something that was far bigger than living in this life. He longed for something that was far bigger than living in this life. So there's prayer. It's one thing. But the other thing is he had a hope. He had a hope. And not in some political sense hope, but a legitimate hope. The reason why Daniel would pray towards Jerusalem was not in the sense that like praying towards Mecca as some people in Islam or people in Islam do. It was praying for Jerusalem because Jerusalem was looking back towards something, looking back to the way in which God had moved and the ways in which God was moving, because Jerusalem was it. And their desire was to get back to Jerusalem. Like that was a good desire, saying there was a hope that actually began to, to empower the life in which they lived. Our hope right now, guys, is not looking to Jerusalem. Our hope is actually looking to the new Jerusalem. 
That what we see at the end of the scriptures is now through the work of Christ that we have a new city that is coming down, that God is reconciling, renewing, and restoring all of creation in Christ Jesus. So as we pray, as the Lord taught us to pray, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done. Not your kingdom come and a little bit of my will. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my family, in my relationships, in my relationship with God, in my city, as it is in heaven. And it is the hope of heaven in Christ that begins to fuel our desire for here. Because I think what's happening is we have our eyes too fixed on the, on the earthly things that sometimes the things of heaven begin to dim for us. We don't long for that which is permanent, which is eternal, that's rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We don't work and participate towards that kingdom because in some ways we find ourselves too comfortable in the life in which we have now. So Daniel gives us a picture of that prayer. He gives a picture of hope and then that particular hope empowers him to live the particular life in which him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego live. And so what it looks like for us is this. You have this picture here in Daniel where he says that the angel came. And what many theologians believe is that is the pre-incarnate version of Christ. Okay, what does that mean? That was Jesus Christ before he put on flesh. We're gonna, we're gonna have a whole series about Jesus putting on flesh here and just starting next week. But it was before Christ, God put on flesh, that Jesus, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, always existed. That what many people believe is that is a pre-incarnate version of Christ coming into the lion's den and shedding the lions to protect Daniel, right? And it's taught that way. For us as New Testament believers, we have to realize that we don't, a pre-incarnate version of Jesus was enough to save Daniel from the lion's den. A pre-incarnate version of Jesus is not enough to save us from what we ultimately need saving from. We needed what we see as the scriptures unfold is God to put on flesh. Because we are not in the lion's den, although we may have our metaphorical lion's den, but that is not ultimately what we just permanently got to save us from. That the, what is the mouth of the lion that is opening for us is not the lion in itself, but it's sin and death as the Bible talks about. And that Jesus comes and he puts on flesh and on the behalf of his people, he walks right into death and allows it to close down upon him. That on our behalf, that he may conquer death and through his resurrection, that he would not just give us a life like Daniel, but he'd give us a brand new life and a life like his, and a life that is powered by his spirit. That what we need is not what Daniel needs for Jesus to be present with him in the moments of his most need. We need Jesus to be present with us in every single moment. And the gospel lets us know that now through the resurrection of Christ, that we've been given the spirit of Christ, now through the spirit that God himself in Christ is present with us by the spirit, empowering us to be the people whom he's called us to be. And that happens, and we're reminded by that, we're strengthened by that as we center ourselves around Christ through the gospel, but also as we're aware of the things that are competing, that are actually putting bondage on us, that the gospel frees us from to be able to walk in light of Jesus collectively in a community. Amen? And so, so the, 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 the one word that I have for us in Christ, this liberating truth that we have of the gospel, moving forward is our prayer should be that of renewal. And here's what I mean by that. Renewal, when you think about it, is not for us to go back like Daniel, but actually for us to be re-centered in Christ, where we started. Renewal usually means the beginning of something or the continuation of something that was stopped. Because of our own sin, because of our own giving in to idolatry, 
the different things, whether it be extreme individualism or hedonism or nationalism or all the different things we've talked about in this series, it actually impedes or stops the movement of God in our lives. And what repentance looks like is us being able to collectively with God's people swimming upstream to be able to find our, our centeredness in Jesus Christ as a community. Hear me. Um, renewal starts, is sustained, and is continued by the people of God getting on their knees and praying. Somebody's going to say, give us something practical. Get on your knees and pray. If it's possible for you physically to literally get on your knees in a posture of humility, not just fly-by prayers, I'm going to pray in the shower, I'm going to pray in the car, that's fine. Get on your knees and just begin to pray. I don't know what to pray about. Sit in silence and let God through the Spirit pray on your behalf, giving you things that you don't even know that you need to be asking for. Prayer, not just individually, prayer with people. Find something, a time, which the people of God, your, your friendships, can get together and say, we're going to pray together. If we can't be in the same room from this time, from this time, we are going to pray and ask God to move. And we have to be patient in this prayer. God's people were not like, hey, we're going to be here, we're going to do a six-week sermon series, and God's going to show up. No. It just doesn't work like that. The people of God have been able to be patient, part of the fruit of the Spirit, to trust and know this is God's sovereign world. He's going to do what he's going to do in spite of me anyway. I'm just going to join him in what he's already going to do and pray towards the things in which he desires. So, so here's, here's a particular story that, um, um, that was shared in the podcast that we had in week one. But the story is of two particular women that were in North Britain. They were both in their 70s and 80s. One was, uh, I mean, just severe arthritis, the other one was blind, and they noticed that there was no teenagers going to join the church. And so they began to pray. They began to invite people to pray. And they would pray from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. that different people during this time can pray. And what they saw, the stories are absurd, right? That something about, like in that particular town, that about 75% of the people over these years came to know Jesus. And then the stories are insane of people on, like leaving the barn and the farm, going to church and on the way to a church being converted by the Spirit before they even got there. And I share that um, all those stories ago. The word that we got from a really good leader, I thought, is as Christians, we're not going to think our way through this. We're not going to plan our way through this. We're not going to have the best sermon series through it. We're not going to work our way through it. We're going to have to pray our way through it. As the people of God have done since the resurrection of Christ and before, is praying, Lord, your will be done, not my will be done. Your kingdom come in this situation as it is in heaven. That we pray for God's renewal, not just for us to be able to say this is what God had done, but maybe for us to be able to worship him fully and wholly as the people of God. Amen? Let me just close with this. You cannot, this is not, okay, here's what I'm going to do. It has to be as a community. It has to be with the people of God. If you're saying, I'm a Christian, but I don't like any Christian people, you need to repent and just be, be friends with Christians. The whole phrase of like, I'm a Christian, I don't like Christian people, it's stupid, all right? And I know there's a better word I can use than that, but this morning I couldn't think of a better one, okay? It, it sounds, oh, Christians are lame. Oh, well, they're your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Well, they don't, they don't get the things I get. Okay, do community with them and you guys will shape each other. It's, it's, it, it, we can no longer try to say, I want to be cool like the world, but then worship Jesus on Sunday, but not have a Christian community, because you may actually not be worshiping Jesus faithfully and fully. It's not an individual sport, so it's together. And I know this is lame, um, but it's the best illustration. If you've been to a youth camp, you've probably done this before over the summer, where you get in a pool, and what they would do for illustration is they get all the kids in the pool. Some of you guys know exactly where I'm going. And they would say, walk this way around the pool. And they walk around the pool over and over again to get the water going this way. And they would say, everybody get out. 
and they put one person in there. Now go the opposite way, and they couldn't do it. Now they said, do it again. Everybody gets in. All right, one person get in there. Now two people get in there. Now three people in there. And the more and more people that got in there, they were actually now beginning to go upstream. The way in which we are in God's grace, empowered by the gospel, to be people of prayer and the people of hope, and the people who begin to serve in light of the prayer to the Lord and the, and the power that the Lord gives us through hope, is not individually. It's linking arms with other brothers and sisters in Christ to say, how can we be faithful to Jesus Christ? How can we be faithful to the word of God? And how can we be collectively be filled with this Holy Spirit? Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for the work and the word of your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the picture in which we give, which we get out of Daniel, Lord, and how you move through your people, and how often, Lord, we need a wake-up call, and oftentimes be reminded that our cues, Lord, do not come from this culture or this world, but our cues in how to live comes from your son, Jesus, and it's empowered by your Holy Spirit in whom you give us because of Christ that we are nurtured and saturated in your love. And so we pray, God, that we would be able to be faithful to you. God, that there would be a level of repentance in our life that align ourselves with where we begin and where we continued and where we're completed. And that is in the work and through the work of your son, Jesus. God, I do pray that you would make us a people dependent upon you. And the evidence of that, Lord, will be the ways and the means in which we pray and offer our lives, our whole lives to you. God, I pray that you would do in us more than we can think, ask, or imagine. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.